Pastor Xavier Reese plugs into the source of power to transform. The Holy Spirit cannot be seen, yet we can see Him only through the effects of His work. When you became born again, basically you didn't change on the outside. Your family members and your friends, they recognize you. You didn't change outwardly. They saw the effect of the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When you plug something electrical into a wall outlet, you get power. But that power isn't generated in the wall. What you're plugging into is merely what its name suggests, a power outlet. In the same way, when you plug into the ministry of the church, the power doesn't come from the pastor or church leaders, but from God Himself. Let's join Pastor Xavier as he explains the simple truths of this unique power source. The message is entitled, The Life Source of the Church. In our opening study, we pointed out that the Church of Jesus Christ is described by many uh, metaphors in the scriptures. And this is done in order to provide a more complete view of the nature of the church, because not one illustration will give the sufficient uh, nature of the church. Some of these metaphors that uh, describe the nature of the church is his body communicating unity and efficiency, his flock revealing the vulnerability and the dependency that the church has directly to Christ. His virgin bride, describing our purity of life and intimate engagement personally with him. His building, identifying the place of his abode. And his family, demonstrating our relationship and resemblance of him. And there are others, but these, as you can see, give us a different vantage point of all the nature of the church. In most of these metaphors, as you see, there is a quality of life and energy that is associated with them. Who is this energy and quality of life due to? There can only be one person, and that's the person of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures clearly tell us that this quality of life is due to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthians, if you remember, 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6, he understood this completely. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of being of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul understood that he was a mere servant and instrument. It was God who was directing and, and, and infusing life into his church. It is for this very purpose that God receives all the honor and all the glory always. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, most of us certainly would not be in church. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit who has transformed us and changed us, you understand? And so in view of this, let's look at the Holy Spirit from three perspectives to see that he is the life source of the church. First, we want to look at the Holy Spirit. He's a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in the believer. And then thirdly, we'll look at the Holy Spirit in the church. 
The Holy Spirit is a person. Throughout the scriptures, it's very clear. The person of the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Any analogy, people get all weirded out with the Trinity. Any analogy that will be used for the Trinity, it will break down if you push it far enough. There are only illustrations, such as an egg. You know, you have three parts, the shell, the white, and then the skin, and then the inside or the white and the yolk, whichever way you want to do it. Or an orange, you have the orange peel on the outside, the white on the inside, and then the orange itself. Three and one. Now those are illustrations, but if you push them too far, they'll break down. The Trinity is something that we can't understand to its full end, but yet certainly we see it taught throughout the scriptures. The Father is said to be God in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. The Son is said to be God, very clearly in Philippians 2, 6, being in the form of God. And that's a seasonal condition. He was God before he came. He was God when he was here. And he's God when he left. Very clear. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 also says he's God. The Holy Spirit is said to be God. You remember the book of Acts. When Ananias is a fire. He says you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 3 through 4. You've lied to God. He says very clearly. So the Father is called God. The Son is called God. And the Holy Spirit is called God. The three persons are co-equal. But distinct persons yet one God. The word that is used for God in the first verse of Genesis, in the beginning, God, is Elohim. El means singular, one. Elohim, any Hebrew word ending in an I am, speaks of plural, a plurality. In fact, from the very beginning there, we see that the Trinity is taught. In the beginning, God Elohim, the compound unity. The three. The Trinity in conversation, if you remember in Genesis 1, 26, God is speaking. He says, let us make man in our image. Who was he talking to? The horny toes and lizards? We're creating the image and likeness of God. Let us create man in our image. Plural, pronoun. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh our God, the Lord Yahweh is one. Again, teaching the doctrine of the Trinity. For the word one there is, the word akad, a compound unity of one. Not the word yahid, which means absolute one. So the very word that is used is a compound unity, not a singular one. It's very clear. The Apostle John attested to the plurality of the Godhead, mentioning two of the three persons, the Father and the Son, ascribing deity to both of them in the very first verse of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. With God means there's two people. You can't be with yourself and say there's two of you. Okay? He ascribes to both. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And literally, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, verse 14. And we beheld His glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Apostle Paul closed his letter to the Corinthians with the Trinitarian blessing. Listen to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, if... There is no trinity. Why all the mention by the apostles about something that supposedly doesn't exist? <laughs> it's all over. But you'll never find the word trinity. 
If there is no Trinity, then Paul would be speaking blasphemous and teaching spiritual error in that benediction. He is referred to by the personal pronoun he and him in John 14, 26, 15, 26, 16, 13 through 16 and other places. He speaks to men in Acts 13, 2, he says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called him. He speaks. He forbids and permits to preach at times and at other times he hinders, even as he did to Paul in Phrygia, Mysia, and Bithynia in Acts 16, 6 through 7. He allows and he hinders. He prophesies about the future in 1 Timothy 4, 1. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Not a force, not a power, but he, the third person of the Trinity. He imparts the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, agape love. He's the agent of the supernatural gifts called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not the gifts of the Father, not the gifts of the Son, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Because he operates. The person of the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. He is the replacement of Jesus by the Father. In John 14, 16, it says, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The word another there means of the same kind and source. What does that mean? It means the same kind, deity, the same source, God, the third person. He's called the comforter, the parakaleo, para alongside, kaleo, to call. He comes alongside to call, to help the believer. In John 14, 16, we're told we get our word paramedic, paralegal. Paramedic comes alongside the medic. Paralegal comes alongside the lawyer. Parallel parking, you come along the sidewalk. <laughs> Same prefix. He will testify of Jesus and glorify Jesus. Never of himself. John 15, 26, 16, 14. When people glorify the Holy Spirit more than Jesus, get away from them. He's the silent witness. He never speaks of himself. He speaks about Jesus. He brings to, to your mind and heart the words of Jesus, and he illuminates the words of Jesus. He never speaks of himself. The person of the Holy Spirit was the one the apostles were to wait for at Jerusalem, if you remember. Jesus told the disciples of Terry and Jerusalem till they be endued with power from on high. Uh, referring to the promise of the Father that he had told them in Luke 24, 49. And Jesus told them there in Acts 1, 8, that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jesus said they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days after, yet many object to the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John coins it, and then Jesus uses it in Acts 1, 5. As the Holy Spirit was sent, it was to endue the believer with power for service. Now, 
the witness that he said they would be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth in Acts 1.8 is to him, meaning as I am living out his life in me, being light and salt to those around me, not merely going out and witnessing for Jesus. You will be witnesses to me. When you're empowered by the Spirit of God, then he sees that you're living out. Your primary witness is to him. Then your witnessing will be effective. We don't get that often out of Acts 1-8, but that's what it's saying. The most important is my witness to him and before him, then for him to others. But it's before him, the primary witness. The picture that Paul presented in Romans 7 is contrary to this. In Romans 7, it is the person who is still attempting to accomplish in the abilities of the flesh what can only be done through the power of the Spirit. Coming to the end of themselves, crying out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You're trying to do it in the flesh. You'll never make it. You must cry out, as Paul did, and then move into chapter 8, life in the Spirit. Each of us have that candy ability to think more highly of our flesh than we should, attempting to trust it. Samuel Brenhill said, quote, If you ask how the Holy Spirit can dwell within us and work through us without destroying our personality, I cannot tell. How can the electric fluid fill and transform a dead wire into a live one, which you dare not touch? How can a magnet current fill a piece of steel and transform it into a mighty force which by its touch can raise tons of iron as a child would lift up a feather? How can fire dwell in a piece of iron until its very appearance is that of fire and it becomes so firebrand I cannot tell? Now, What fire and electricity and magnetism do in iron and steel, the Holy Spirit does in the spirits of men who believe in Jesus, follow him wholly, and trust him intelligently. He dwells in them and inspires them till they are all alive with the very life of God. The transformation wrought in men by the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the power that fills them are amazing beyond measure. The word spirit in the Hebrew, as you know, is the word ruach, which um, means wind, air, or breath. The Greek word pneuma, it means much the same as the Hebrew, wind, air, or breath. And I think it is an excellent word since the Holy Spirit cannot be seen. Yet, as he is working, we can see him, at work, but only through the effects of his work. And also, we hear him by virtue of reading the word, and he deals with our hearts through conviction, through reproof, through chastening. It's kind of like Nicodemus, you know, Jesus told Nicodemus, um, the wind blows where it wills, but you cannot, you, though you hear the sound, you can't see where it's coming from. 
But you can see the effects of the wind there in John 3.8. He told him that. And so is the one who's born again. When you became born again, basically you didn't change on the outside. The next day you were born again, your family members and your friends, they recognize you. You didn't change outwardly. But what they did notice is now there was a different effect on your life. You weren't talking the way you used to. You weren't doing the things you used to. They saw the effect of the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. But they couldn't see the Holy Spirit. But they could see the effects. The Old Testament records of the Holy Spirit records the coming upon selected individuals, as you know, for God's will and purposes. Not everyone in the Old Testament was filled with the Spirit. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams by God's revelation, his Spirit, in Genesis 41. God anointed Baziel and Aholiab with wisdom and understanding to build the tabernacle by the Holy Spirit, Exodus 31.3. God anointed the 70 elders as he did with Moses in Numbers 11, 16, and 17, 24, and 25 to help him rule. The Lord put a word in the mouth of Balaam. His spirit came upon him, yet he was a prophet of familiar spirits. Numbers 23, 5, and 16, and 24, 2. The spirit came upon Gideon, literally clothed himself with him in Judges 7. Samuel told Saul the spirit of God would come upon him in 1 Samuel 10, 6. The Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all of them to be the mouthpiece of God, to call God's people back to God, repentance, and at times to reveal future things. But the primary prophet, position of a prophet in office was to declare God's word, not to reveal future things. That was secondary. The Spirit of God is said to enter, rest, and move on men in the Old Testament, but never to indwell them as the New Testament saints straight across. Now, the New Testament equally records the Holy Spirit as personal, even as we've seen here with the Old Testament. He comes upon people to accomplish the will of God. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the conception of Christ in the womb of Mary. Matthew 1.20 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife, uh, as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then Mary, in Luke 1.34-35, said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man, meaning intimately, sexually, and the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is seen descending on Christ at his baptism in the shape of a dove, symbolic of the gentleness and the purity of his person. Matthew 3.16 
When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. The Father speaking from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Son coming out into the water to his cousin to baptize him, and the Spirit descending upon him. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three, one God. John says in John 1.33 that God told him that the descending of the Spirit was a sign to identify the Messiah. There was never a time that Jesus was without the Holy Spirit. He was conceived, endowed, filled, led, and driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for God gave him not the Spirit by measure, John 3.34 tells us. And so the Holy Spirit is a person, not a when, not a power, the third person of the Trinity, the life source of the church. Now, secondly, the Holy Spirit in the believer, because the believer collectively and corporately makes up the church of Jesus Christ. The promise of the comfort of the Holy Spirit was to indwell the believer. In John 14, 17, he says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He is called the Spirit of truth even as Jesus is called truth in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth. Same word. He is in every believer as God's down payment or engagement ring called the earnest or the Erebon of the Spirit in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 1.13 and 14. He has a threefold relationship with people. We just read in John 14.17, he is with you, bringing conviction on people for their sin, John 14.17. The Holy Spirit is with us to convict as the word of God is proclaimed. He is in people, John 17 also, when people open their hearts, repent, and the Holy Spirit comes in us, and our body becomes the temple of God. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon us at P, or baptizes, or fills us, or the endowment, or the promise of the Father, whatever you want to use. I just care that you have it. Acts 1.8. So with us, to convict the world of sin, in us when we repent and are born again, and upon us for empowerment for service. The threefold relationship. Now the Holy Spirit will teach the believer all things we are told by Jesus. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. The natural man does not receive with acceptance or approval the things of God. For they are spiritually understood and discerned by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. This is clearly taught throughout the scriptures. Paul makes a reference to that in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 14. The Christian has an, un an unction. The Bible tells us, 1 John 2, 20, you have an unction and anointing. The person of the Holy Spirit. He is the illuminator. He turns the light on. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who turns on the light for every believer. We don't understand the Word of God and understand all that God teaches because we're so bright, but because He turns on the light. Pastor Xavier Reese, reminding us that we all have the power we need through Christ Jesus our Lord. And you can request a copy of today's crucial study called The Life Source of the Church. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And the message you'll receive will contain the complete, uninterrupted presentation. The title to ask for once again is The Life Source of the Church. Or simply mention today's date when you write. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. How can you be sure if you are a Christian? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 